listening to Doing Law Differently, a podcast that explores how leaders in law are thinking outside the box and challenging the status quo. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as we discover how the world's most progressive law firms and law companies are doing law differently. Hello, welcome back. You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Today, I'm joined by someone who you've no doubt heard of, and that is Nicole Auerbach. Nicole has disrupted the legal industry not once, but twice. First in 2008, after 15 years in big law, Nicole co-founded Valorum Law Group to bring alternative fees to the market. At that time, no one else was talking about alternative fees yet, so Valorum were one of the first firms to pioneer the alternative fee movement. But Nicole wasn't, and I expect probably still isn't done, and in 2018 she co-founded Elevate Next Law. Elevate Next Law is a law firm that sits alongside the global law company Elevate Services, And together, they offer customers everything they need, including the practice of law, all in one place. At the end of the interview, Nicole mentions that she's coming to Australia in early September, and we didn't tell you where you could find her. So let me do that bit for you now. Nicole is coming to present at the Outma Summit. That's the Australasian Legal Practice Management Association. They have an annual summit, which this year is happening on 4th to 6th of September in Melbourne. Nicole and Patrick Lamb will be there and they will be talking about the road from old law to today's front lines. So sharing a tour of innovation as they've experienced it in the legal profession. I've been to the Outma Summit for two of the last three years and will be there again this year. And it's absolutely fantastic. One of my favorite events on the law calendar. So if you can make it, I think it's well worth the investment and do come and say hi if you're there. The interview is a little bit longer than normal because there was just so much for me to talk to Nicole about. But let's get stuck in. Enjoy. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. And especially thank you for giving me your Sunday evening. It's very much appreciated. My pleasure. I've spoken to a few people on this podcast who are doing law differently in lots of exciting ways, but you're the first person I've spoken to who has disrupted our profession not once, but twice. You can have the medal for that one. Okay. (laughs) Let's start with Valorum Law Group that you formed in 2008 to give your clients an alternative to the billable hour. What did that look like back in 2008? Oh boy, that looked like a big leap into a big void that I had no idea. Would there be a cushion at the bottom? Would there be an abyss at the bottom? Or would there just be, you know, a really nice, you know, landing pad to to launch, you know, something really great. And I think it was a little bit of a combination of all of those. Um, In 2008, I had spent about 15 years in a large law firm in Chicago in the United States. And I really loved the work that I was doing. I had learned a lot. I had some really great clients, very good colleagues, but I could not understand how clients continued to use and be okay with the billable hour. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was just an unrealistic and silly way, quite frankly, to charge your time. And I also thought it was it was strange that clients just blindly would allow law- lawyers to increase their rates every year just because the calendar t- 
overturned yeah. and things like that. So I've been rallying against this, but I can't rally against it enough in the environment that I'm in. And so I have to take this leap of faith with luckily some other people who also were taking the leap along with me. Mm-hmm. So back then, like you said, you were one of the first to be pioneering this alternative fee arrangement. So you didn't have other firms, at least in law, that you could look to and say, well, this is how it's done. How did you get started? Did you draw from other professions or did you just think, this is my idea, let's give it a go? So there were probably a handful of firms that had moved into the alternative fee space, but not exactly as we were doing it in more sophisticated commercial litigation in particular. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., one group of lawyers who had been using what I'll say is an alternative fee for years was personal injury lawyers on the plaintiff side. Right. And so the only alternative fee that they typically use, though, was a contingency fee where they got paid nothing until they won or the case settled. So that was not enough for us and not analogous enough for us to just look completely to that profession or that area of law and say, this is how we have to do it. However, we did look at how they were doing their work because we knew if you're not getting paid until you win, then you're not wasting your time on a lot of unnecessary things. And if you want to keep your firm afloat, you better be doing that which needs to be done, but nothing else. So that was one of the fundamental kind of foundational things that we started to think about is, okay, if we're going to use alternative fees, even if it's different than just contingencies, we need to be very disciplined about asking ourselves, does this need to be done? Does it need to be done now? Does it need to be done by me? Or is there somebody better suited for this, etc.? But in order to figure out what we were doing, it was a lot of trial and error. And we had a lot of error (laughs) over the years. You just, you know, you learn from your mistakes. So I would say that that's really what it was. We just naturally knew what we were trying to accomplish and wanted to do it in just a smarter, simpler way. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot of people ask me, how do I get started with fixed fee pricing or value pricing? And how do I know what's the right thing to charge? And my answer is always the same. There's no science behind it. It really is trial and error. Like you say, it's getting started, putting something out there and then finishing the work or getting halfway or to whatever point you decide and then looking back and reviewing it and thinking, well, what would I do differently next time? That's exactly right. So what does alternative fee look like now at Valorum? So it's an interesting thing because, you know, we really, other than honing the way that we work, we really haven't done anything drastically different except that we just have experience. So now, 10 years, 11 years into it, if a case comes in, we can often eyeball the case and say, okay, this would lend itself really well to this type of alternative fee in terms of the pricing you know, we think this is what's going to happen. And this is where we would go in terms of pricing. That is where we are with alternative fees today. There's no real new fees, although we're always open to anything and to customizing for our clients. But we tend to spend a lot of time listening to our clients and hearing what would be a victory for them, what type of fees they feel comfortable with, and we tend to go from there. 
Alternative fee arrangements are catching on, but I have a suspicion that they're maybe not as widespread as I think they are. And that's because I think, and maybe you're the same, like attracts like. And most of the lawyers who I associate with are people who are a bit more progressive in the way that they're practicing law. What's your perception of that? So the billable hour is still here, and I, I really think it will continue for a long, long time. But in the beginning, when I thought alternative fees are the greatest thing since sliced bread and everybody's going to pick up on this and everyone's going to do this, and then you looked at the numbers on a sort of monthly or even you know yearly basis, it, it didn't look like there was a lot of movement. But I'll tell you, in the U.S., first of all, when you look back over 11 years, my saying is always, you know, a snail goes very slow. And if you look at how far the snail went on a daily basis, it's going to look like it's nothing. But after 10 years, even a snail has Mm. gone pretty far. Mm. So what I find now is that if you searched any website of certainly all the large firms, I would say the vast majority of the mid-sized firms and a lot of smaller firms, everybody here is saying that they're doing alternative fees. And whether they're doing them right, whether they're doing them a lot, that's open for questioning. But I do think that, um, I think that there's a weird um, kind of, I don't know, the tipping point is, is, is overused. And I don't know that it is really like, you know, a tipping point in the sense that all of a sudden it was one way and then boom, everything changed. I think it's a gradual curve that we're seeing that clients are really looking for ways to be competitive in this marketplace. The legal industry is changing pretty dramatically right now. And I think unlike in the beginning where everybody was, at least in the US, trying to figure out what's going to happen with the recession. Is it, you know, is the work going to come back or are the prices going to go back up? It took a while for people to realize, even though the market rebounded, that, that the legal work isn't coming back in the same way. So I think that what we're finding is that there's an appetite for change a lot more than we saw a decade ago. And a lot of law firms are becoming more progressive. And a lot of clients are actually becoming more progressive and demanding what they want. And so alternative fees are a natural byproduct of that. What you've explained is a very lovely lead in to my next question, which is about your more recent law firm, Elevate Next. Yeah, And this is exciting because as far as you know, you're the first to create a model that's like this one you've built. And you've touched previously on some of the ways that you work at Valorum and how that affects your fee arrangements. And I know that a lot of that knowledge and skill has been brought into Elevate Next. So hopefully we can touch on some of that here. So tell us about the model that you've created. Yeah. So last year, one of my co-founders in Valorum and I, his name's Patrick Lamb, you know, we were really kind of asking ourselves, do we have one more disruption, you know, (laughs) in our system? Can we do one more before, you know, we ride off into the sunset one day? And mostly it was because of the phenomenon that I was telling you that everywhere we looked, everybody was now doing alternative fees. So what, what had been very interesting and innovative at the startup phase had, had really become now sort of just commonplace and every day. So we really enjoyed the aspect of looking into the marketplace and trying to predict where is it going and trying to get there before it gets there, right? 
So what we decided that we wanted to do is kind of look at what are companies in particular doing that perhaps we can add value to in some way. And what we noticed, because we were working with a number of what we call law companies or alternative service providers, was that that group, we'll call them law companies, they were taking a huge bite out of the marketplace. They were taking work from law firms. They were also taking work from traditional in-house staff. And they were coming on like gangbusters. And the traditional lawyers really, I think, still to this day, don't quite know that this is going on. And the projections are that this is going to be some, I don't know, $25 billion industry or $50 billion by 2025. I mean, there's some astounding numbers. And not only did we start working with some law companies, but we knew a lot of people who were in these in, in law companies and doing different things within law departments or within law firms. And we found them to be incredibly innovative. So we decided, well, why can't we as a law firm work with a law company? Because as a small firm, we always wanted technology or consultants or the ability to touch upon legal operations and have those type of experts. We wanted a huge staff that we didn't have to hire and carry as overhead. And suddenly we realized, well, what can we add to the law companies? And at least in the United States, what we could add was their ability to, through us, handle issues that involve the practice of law. Because of regulations in the U.S., law companies have not been able to do that. And so what would be happening as a result of that was that they would go into a law department, perhaps be working in five, ten different areas, but then when it came to tackling outside counsel spend or outside counsel efficiency, they really felt concerned about doing that given the regulations. And they would stop short and say, thank you so much. You're a great customer. We love doing all of these other things, but we can't cross into the unlicensed practice of law. And they would leave that, that whole task on the table. And so what we decided was, well, how can we handle that along with a law company so that the real goal for, for the customers is to have what we call a one-stop solution where they could use a law company and then they could use a law firm. But instead of having to go to a number of different places, if we were aligned, it would make it much easier. So at the end of the day, we ended up working closely with Elevate Services, which is a global law company with now 1,200 employees across the world. And we really found that we had the same value system as they did. And if it was a perfect world, we would have said, hey, just buy us, you know, buy Valorum and we'll be within Elevate and we'll bring everything we've learned. But of course, in the US, they couldn't do that. So we ultimately decided, well, why can't we just form a law firm that is a separate, you know, legal entity, separately regulated, et cetera, separate ownership, but we sit so close to Elevate Services that we really are partners and to customers, it's virtually one in the same. Wow. It's interesting. It's a lot to kind of comprehend, isn't it? Yeah. When I first 
heard of what you'd done. I thought it was the other way. I may, maybe it does operate both ways, but I thought you were the law firm and your clients could use the services of Elevate Services to help with their legal issues. And I'm sure it still works both ways, but I can see what you're saying. It's also that you can value add for the people who are their direct clients. That's right. And so it does work both ways because we Mm. do still get customers that they've not yet worked with. And we try to unbundle anything that's not the traditional practice of law, for example, e-discovery, or we may need an additional team because we don't want a lot of people at the core group because of course that adds overhead that you have to pass on to the client. So instead we get what we call elevated lawyers, which is the, their talent arm supplies us with the exact subject matter experts that we need at the exact levels for each you know, specific project or case. So it does work both ways. But when we first envisioned it, just given their size, we thought, mm-hmm. well, let us help you tackle the outside counsel aspect because that's such a big part of what their customers needed. So it's worked both ways. And when you say tackle the outside counsel part, do you mean refining that and making it better for the customer or do you mean just doing the legal work? So it kind of goes hand in hand. A lot of times Elevate is brought in to a company much like an outside consultant would and they say, look, our budget is getting cut, but our legal work is growing year over year. We have all these staff members. We're not allowed to add more bodies, but everybody's really overworked. There's a lot of things that our attorneys would like to be doing, but they can't because they're bogged down with this, that, and the other. We need to kind of look at the whole department holistically and tell us where you can bring some assistance to lower costs, to drive efficiencies, to get better outcomes. So before Elevate Next, at least in the U.S., Outside counsel spend is such a huge part of what companies need to tackle Mm -hmm. in order to achieve any of the issues that we talked about to bring down the cost. That's usually their greatest area of spend. And what we found is that Elevate has a consulting arm. They can identify the issues, but they couldn't then say, well, we'll jump in and oversee your outside counsel. Or let us break down and let us handle some aspect of the case because this is routine and we can playbook it and we can handle it in a different way, in a much more cost-effective way. So really what it was, was they were leaving anything to do with outside counsel aside. And now with Elevate Next, we can not only come in and we can oversee their outside lawyers kind of as national counsel, if you will, or portfolio counsel. But more than that is we can take on some of the matters that they traditionally had, you know, other firms who are not very efficient, who are billing by the hour handling. And across the board, we can bring, you know, cost efficiencies, um, project management, and all of those things to the outside counsel portion of the work in a law department. And is that what you describe as being the moonshot? I noticed a common theme. You've used some space analogies in this interview as well. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) Best part when this all came together, and probably I should admit the impetus to it finally coming together and the stars aligning. So that's my space, you know, analogy right there. 
is that one of Valorum's former clients, I mean, for years, was a general counsel named Jeff Carr. He was the general counsel of FMC Technologies, which was in Houston, Texas. And he was known as one of the most innovative, forward-thinking GCs out there. And Jeff had retired from FMC, got tired, I think, of complete retirement, (laughs) and started to say, you know, hey, maybe what's my next thing? He started to consult with us, with Valorum, at a time where much of that consulting was really all of us just dreaming about what would the law department of the future look like? And it included this sort of new model, you know, law company, law firm, plus law department. And ultimately, it turned out that Jeff got an opportunity to take on the GC role at a company in the US that happened to be right outside of Chicago called Univar. And when he took on that role, he indicated that part of the deal would be that he gets to run this law department and create the law department of the future. And the management bought into that. And as soon as he got into that role, he wanted Valorum to be the elevated law firm, if you will, I say that in quotes, you know, the innovative law Mm. firm to help with the legal work. And he wanted Elevate Services to act as the law company. And that's when we really started working together very well and started realizing, okay, this is a no brainer. And that was part of the moonshot. It was Jeff Carr's moonshot goal that we all put on our spacesuits for in order to (laughs) just fundamentally change the law department and to therefore reduce by many percentage amounts over time, you know, their legal spend. You've said that you think most traditional lawyers are oblivious to the amount of work that law companies are doing and the type of work that they're doing as well. Yeah. But you seem to have suggested that your clients might understand it a bit more than the lawyers do. Yeah. In what way are your clients coming to you with this understanding? How are they demonstrating that to you? And why do you think they're ahead of the game? (laughs) Yeah. So the interesting thing is what I think is happening is particularly larger companies are finding this practice of law to be, the lines are blurring. So I think what happened, you know, if you went back 20 years everything was either done in-house or it was sent to outside counsel. And then you got closer to the recession and suddenly giving work to outside counsel just couldn't be done as often as it was. Mm -hmm. So then in-house took on a lot and there were a lot of hires in-house. But that too wasn't this great model because it was just adding bodies in-house and it wasn't necessarily doing things more efficiently or thinking differently. Um, And it wasn't necessarily, it was probably less expensive than giving everything outside, but you could only cut your budget so much with that big of an in-house staff. So with the recession came a bunch of different cottage industries around the legal department that were individual in nature. So there were e-discovery firms, then there were separate staffing firms like Axiom and things of that nature. Then there was separate consulting firms. So in-house departments got used to using a bunch of these different entities. And that worked for a little while. But over time, it's a lot easier to go to one place and get everything that you need rather than four or five different places 
where none of those entities are talking to one another. There's just Mm -hmm. a huge disconnect often. And the burden is on the in-house lawyer or department to try to marry all of those together. And so what I think started happening is budgets continued to be cut. So in-house departments had to look elsewhere as to, you know, how are they going to achieve these goals? And they realized, well, if they're bigger organizations, bigger law companies that can do all of the things that I was farming out to four or five companies, I'd rather use them. And once you start using a law company in that way, they get entrenched in the law department. So the work tends to grow as more efficiencies are revealed. So why do I think traditional lawyers are unaware of this? Because I think traditional lawyers are not exactly aware of anything other than like their own silo. (laughs) What's in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. What's in front of them. And truthfully, I was one of them. So I'm not trying to completely distance myself from this, but you have your work and you may get a general sense that, oh, you know, this client used to send me X amount of work. Now it's less, but you might think you're losing out to another law firm. You know, unless you really know the business that your clients are in and you really explore how they're running their legal departments, you, know, you don't know who else is being brought on to handle a number of different things. Mm-hmm. And so my experience so far in the year since we started Elevate Next is when I try to explain our affiliation with the law company, people's eyes glaze over. They're like, oh, what? They just don't really know that this is out there and that it's being used. The last thing that I wanted to touch on in terms of the way that you're doing law differently is just your communication style. And by this, I mean the copy on your website. I think I might have mentioned this to you when I was emailing you, but I want to say on here because I want people to go and check it out. It's elevatenextlaw.com. And I spent a good hour or so just exploring your website just because I wanted to read what you'd said. At the beginning, I don't think I even really knew what you were doing. And I just wanted to be part of it because you would just, you just show so much personality on that website, just through a little bit of copy. And I just think it's fantastic. Well, that's so nice. And you really have no idea what a compliment that is because from the beginning of Valorum all the way through to Elevate Next, I have been the copywriter with the help of my partners, of course. But we really find that it is absolutely necessary for us to be authentic. You know, this is truly who we are. So I would say, you know, quite a bit irreverent, but yet we take, you know, we take what we do seriously. We don't take ourselves very seriously. And, um, you know, we just think it's important to just use everyday words Mm -hmm. and as many colorful examples as we can to try to convey, you know, this is who we are. This is what you're getting. It's probably not for everybody, but we have gotten such amazing responses. Um, It started with our Valorum website. When we first started, we had $0. So we poured it all into the website and we were so irreverent and no one had done that yet. Mm -hmm. And I would get emails from people in France saying, I translated your disclaimer because it was a totally tongue in cheek and here it is in French if you if you like it. And just you know, like you wouldn't believe the amount of emails and contacts that we get as a result of people saying, I really appreciated your website. So it's I take that as a huge compliment. So thank you so much. But it's intentional. 
Yeah, absolutely. It shows that you're relatable. And not only are you explaining how your firm is different to other people's, you're showing that you're human. And that kind of sounds a bit ridiculous, but you don't get that impression from a lot of big law firm websites. Yeah, that's right. Now, the last question that I have for you is, now you say that you adore lawyering, but building new legal models and slaying the status quo is a passion of yours. So I have to ask you, is there one more? What's next? Oh, well, that's really funny. Um, I am young enough, hopefully, um, that I don't have my retirement date yet. But some of my partners are a bit older than me, and I think that their runway is a little bit less. But you know what? I love this. I love just doing things that are different, but are, you know, what I think are bringing about valuable change. And I love to talk about it at the beginning and then see how people try to adapt to that or Mm -hmm. how customers get on board and they think that we're adding something that just didn't exist in the past. So right now, Elevate Next is really my focus. And so I need to, I need to, you know, um, build that up. And there's a lot of opportunities in that regard. Um, But who knows, you know, I will never say never. And I'm the third child. So I always say three is a charm. Ah. So you never know, you never know. Yeah, so we will just have to keep our eye out to see what comes next. We'll be waiting for number three. Exactly. Well, thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate you giving us your time and for sharing so openly about all the things that you're up to. Yeah, Lucy, thanks. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. I'm coming to Australia um, at the end of the month, early September. And so I I hope to get the chance to meet you face-to-face then. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. So that's all from Doing Law Differently today. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It makes a big difference because it really helps other people to find out about the show. And lastly, if you or someone who you know is doing law differently, then send them my way at doinglawdifferently.com.au forward slash guest. I'd love to have as much variety on the show as possible. So do send them over. See you next week. You've been listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. Visit doinglawdifferently.com.au.